Welcome in, listeners, to another episode of the Busby Bay Podcast. Your host, Colin Dams, here, joined once again by Nathan Heinchel and Polly Questel. And making his first appearance in quite some time, our uh, fearless leader, Brent Maximin. How's it going, Brent? Good. Happy to make my uh, annual appearance as per the terms of my contract. <laughs> yeah. And uh, as someone who financially supported this podcast uh, before we were on Megaphone, uh, I feel like we probably should have had you on more often than you have been, but uh, it's great to have you and great to have your opinions as always. And uh, Nathan Heinchel, Polly Questel, how you guys doing? I just want to make sure it's uh, it's terms of his contract, right? And not like we're so untrustworthy that he's coming in here to babysit us. No, <laughs> Log Daddy wouldn't do that. As Jose, as Jose Mourinho was said, if I speak... <laughs> I say nothing. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Yeah. I guess I'm making my triumphant return too. It's been what two two episodes now. Yeah, I think we'll, we did the one post Lester, and then I think we were all just kind of like, do we need to do one for Lask? And, yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Polly and Polly and I ended up doing one last week, uh, talking a little bit about Copenhagen, but mostly talking about squad building and transfers, which we can maybe get to a bit later. But um, Manchester United threw to a European semifinal. Uh, it is not the Champions League semifinal, but it is, it is a European semifinal. And we are playing against Sevilla on Sunday for the opportunity to play against Manchester United B or Manchester United Reserves Inter Milan in the final. And, oh, sorry, Polly, were you going to say something? Oh, no, I was just going to say it's... um. It's not the European competition we want. It's the European competition we we got. And you say semifinal, and I just say UEFA Super Cup quarterfinal. <laughs> there we go. Our recent track record in semifinals is a little dicey, too, so a Yeah, nervous. this is our third semifinal this season. Um, the first two did not go so well. We did win one of those against Manchester City as Polly's... Um, background on Skype is reminding us of uh, could have gone a different way in the final minutes. But um, yeah, we, we lose in the League Cup semifinal to Manchester City and the FA Cup semifinal to Chelsea. And like those competitions, Sevilla is definitely the toughest opponent that we will have faced in the Europa League up to this point. Um, and also is the team that knocked us out of the Champions League in the famous football heritage match against... Uh, yeah. I almost said against Jose Mourinho, which is not entirely untrue. Oh, right, I think we, we were playing, were playing against, against Jose. <laughs> I need I need Brent's thoughts on that game. Yeah. Oh, um, I mean, like most of the Jose Mourinho reign, I've successfully managed to erase that from my memory. Um, but uh, I was reminded of it this week when uh, I shared the starting eleven from the last time we played Sevilla in the Europa League on the Busby Bay Twitter account. And there's a good chance that none of that starting 11, even though it was only two years ago, um, is going to start this weekend, which is kind of incredible. And you look at that front three, Mata, that version of Alexis Sanchez, Romelu Lukaku, who uh, famously played in jeans and work boots. Uh, I think it was... <laughs> Herrera in midfield, 
Oof, it was ugly. Of course, young Valencia at fullback, Smalling, mess. Um, so yeah, I mean, we. I don't think United unnecessarily go into this game on great form because we're definitely tired. Um, we have a few players that that look that particularly look run down. Um, but no matter what, it's not going to be a repeat of two years ago, which was probably one of the most depressing cup ties I think I've ever watched in all my years of watching Man United. Yeah, and I, one of the major differences, obviously, is that Solskjaer's tactics, uh, you know, he approaches a game trying to score goals and trying to create, you know, good attacking chances and multiple attacking chances, which is something yeah. we saw against Copenhagen. But yeah, and I, I don't think anyone intentionally there. create misery for <laughs> both sets of players, both sets of fans, and <laughs> any other neutrals like what Jose Mourinho has been doing for the last five years of his career. When I saw you share that lineup, and I looked at it, and I saw Juan Mata, and I was like, oh wow, he actually did play a creative player. I would have, I would have thought he would have went with like Lingard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I want to say that we didn't even really go through Mata. It seemed like. If I remember correctly, I've avoided, you know, rewatching that game for some time, but we didn't really create a whole lot of meaningful chances other than maybe trying to get the ball onto Fellaini's head in that game until, of course, we were already down by two goals. Right, but like we shouldn't complain about losing that game or make a big deal out of it because United are used to that. You know, Real Madrid beat us, uh, Porto beat us, uh, plenty of teams have gone into Old Trafford and, and beaten United before, so not a big deal. Right. God, I hate them. I hate them so much. <laughs> I can't believe we lived through that era. Although yes, now yes. that that is a part of our quote-unquote football heritage, we have now gone to the quarterfinals of the Champions League last season to be knocked out by Barcelona, and now semifinals of the Europa League a competition that Solskjaer certainly seems like he wants to win. Uh, he started. Hold on, with- I have a question. We did live through that era, but like, is 2020 any better? <laughs> like, did we come out of that on the right side? <laughs> it is did better we, for Lopetegui. <laughs> did we live it or did we survive it? Uh, well, uh, like, we survived the Mourinho era. Uh, are, are we living in 2020 right now or are we surviving day to day? Yeah, I, I guess the only thing we can be grateful for is that the end of Mourinho didn't happen in the calendar year 2020 because personally that would have been too much for me to take uh yeah the end of the Mourinho era is still one of the uh probably two or three maybe even one best days of like the last five years of my life and I I got engaged in the last (laughs) year (laughs) and my fiance very much knows that that was a bigger day for me (laughs) And it's now a, it's podcast official. It's actually yes. not been very beneficial for me because I was writing prolifically for the Busby Babe uh, during the waning ends of the Mourinho era, and it's just tailed off ever since. I don't have anybody to hate. Nathan made his career on who <laughs> Manchester United were going to get once their manager was fired. Oh, and, and he didn't even me, get it right. <laughs> I, w- I was so ready to start writing about um, who was going to replace Solskjaer, and you know, then we saw Bruno and everything was fine again. Yeah, well, I had I, I was going through old Busby Babe chorus drafts uh, the other day because I've got plenty of them to look at, 
uh, unfinished drafts, that is. Did you see and, the Dan James um, banana bread story? I, I did not. But um, I did see one where I think I had already sent a version of it to Brent. I was comparing Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer's time as Manchester United manager to the Stone Roses as sort of like a one-album hit wonder. And maybe they just weren't cut out to make it all the way. But uh, happily, I abandoned that draft because we started going on a pretty good run around January. So, mm. yeah, here we are. Well, and if we want to continue making Manchester Manchester band references, the viewers or the listeners can't see it, but you got your Joy Division shirt on in honor of that new kit that got leaked I today. Do. <laughs> they, I, I pitched Brent a story back in like September about how Solskjaer was the right manager over Pochettino and certainly Zidane and maybe one other person oh, to maybe? actually to actually do the rebuild and actually like have and I sent him this whole email and he was like, you make some really good points. Uh, now you just need him to start winning. And that was September. So that story never got written. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was a, it was a rough time. So Sevilla. <laughs> <laughs> right. Back to what we, we just were immediately talking. <laughs> started talking about Jose. And we're just like, just picking so at the even, scab right now. I mean, even though he can suck the life out of the room, just thinking about it. Well, yeah. he's watching over us in my uh, in my background. When when you <laughs> say Sevilla, there are two things that come to mind: Europa League and Jose Mourinho. That for the one time Sevilla made it into the Champions League. It's, a, it's amazing that we haven't mentioned Tottenham getting into the Europa League yet. Well, they got to qualify. Yeah, they did. They do have yeah. to qualify, and uh, they could they could play some interesting interesting teams out there. That uh, I'm sure the weather's real nice out in September. A lot of those consonants smashed together. And I'm sure are from places that actually do exist. (laughs) And Um, the weather is really depressing. Yeah, Yeah, they're playing teams from wherever Dr. Doom is from, you know, probably three days from now or something when they first pre-qualifying rounds start. That's about that would be on brand for Europa League to already start the qualifying round before this act, this competition. The Champions League did. The Champions League started last week. Oh, uh, the first qualifying round with like a team from Northern Ireland uh, was playing. They're like Serbia. Let's let's get this going. Yeah, it's, this is like the this is like the round where like the champion of Gibraltar gets to play. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not too big of a deal, probably, if there was like a Belarusian team that had an opportunity because they just played right through COVID. They said YOLO. Right, but UEFA is actually like putting in re- regulations and stuff. Yeah. You know, doing what? What? Remember, like back in uh, April when we were talking about this, and I was like, you know, UEFA has to actually govern. Uh, coincidentally, that's something that a lot of people say in this country. Uh, UEFA actually finally started doing it. And then Cass was like, "Nah." <laughs> no. So severe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, thoughts on their game against Wolves, uh, an opponent we know pretty well, and Sevilla, like Manchester United against Copenhagen, struggled to break down their opponent in that game, ultimately winning 1-0, finally, you know, getting a glancing header off of a set-piece routine pretty late in the game, but pretty promising, I guess I took away from it, looking at them as Manchester United's next opponents, that they had such trouble breaking down a pretty, you know, stout defensive team such as Wolves and 
I mean, I think if we defend the way that we have most of last season, we shouldn't have much trouble against Sevilla. But it's also going to be interesting seeing how Ali plans going forward and whether he wants to play, you know, the similar sort of 4-2-3-1, trying to dictate the match, or whether he does something similar to what he did against Chelsea in the semifinal, where he tries to switch things up a little bit. Well, just thinking about uh, my early impressions when I found out that we weren't going to play Wolves besides... I was sitting there thinking, like, oh, thank God, um, you know, our left-back situation isn't super great right now. Pretty stoked to not have Adama Traore in there. But then I remembered the Argentinian troll Campos plays for Sevilla, so it could still potentially be a pretty pretty difficult matchup for whoever's going to play left-back for us. Um, Ocampos has had a really, really good season. Um, and, of course, anybody who plays FIFA knows when they saw that Argentinian flag during Team of the Season, they thought they had Messi, and they didn't. Um, so he'll break your heart. Um, <laughs> both in FIFA and in real life. Um, you know, the, against Copenhagen, I thought we looked, well, it, it was pretty plain. We, we looked rather flat. Um, and then Anthony Martial decided to come alive, uh, towards the end of the game there. Um, so a- after we were saying that the team looked a little too, you know, too tired, they had about a week's of rest and all of a sudden they looked flat and rusty and, so hopefully maybe that was one of those just kind of shake it up and realize, oh, okay, we're in a competition that means something. Um, and there's going to be, if we want to win this and if we're serious about getting trophies, we got to come to play. Because uh, I think Sevilla's won, I think I read five times now, the, the Europa League. So, yeah. I mean, this this is a competition. They want to win it. So it's yeah. it, they're going to have, it's going to be 90 minutes. You can't take any breaks during it, I don't think. Yeah, it's basically become their route into the Champions League. Um, yeah. the Celtic. <laughs> yeah, we we didn't we looked flat against Copenhagen as we came out and just sat back. We stayed or we we very much uh, sorry to trigger you again, Brent, but we very much just played Mourinho ball. Uh, we stayed oh, organized. We, <laughs> we sat back. It was boring. Um, but we did that because clearly Solskjaer said, this is my 11. He put Fred in in place of Matic, so I guess we now go 12 deep. But he basically said these are the like he clearly stated I'm trying to win this competition. If he brought the full 11, 10 back for the quarterfinals, but looking at the temperature and the heat there, he said it's it's not sustainable to have these guys run the entire match. So he tried to conserve that energy, and hence we looked flat. Anthony Martial conserved his energy for 80 minutes until he started to play. And therefore the last 40 minutes of the game, he looked not just alive, but like his dominant self, which makes it impossible for me to think that Solskjaer is going to change things up um, on Sunday. Maybe Matic comes back into the team in, in place of Fred. Um, there was the uh, there. Sevilla do have that big midfielder whose name ex- escapes me, who everybody is raving about. He's a midfield general. My scouting on him goes as far as someone on Twitter warning ha- uh, United fans about this guy, and someone responding with a picture of Paul Pogba bossing him uh, in the 2018 World Cup when oh, France yeah, yeah when France Argentina. He did have N'Golo Conte next to him, but uh, you could have Fred he's next to Fred. Yeah, he's got yep. Fred. Fred's pressing numbers are the same as Conte's. Yeah, uh, I, I actually wanted to bring that up. 
um, I, I guess after Polly makes his point, but this could be a good game for Fred. Um, yeah, I, and I mean, it should be a good game. It should be a better game than the last one because Sevilla actually liked to play. Copenhagen just came to sit back and and after 60-ish minutes, I mean, at one point in like the 65th minute, their goalkeeper literally picked the ball up uh, and ran to the top of the box and just punted it back to the halfway line and out of bounds, like without even looking for one of his teammates or anything. And I was like, if you're already doing that, like then you have no interest in playing anymore. You're just sitting back trying to hold on for extra time penalties. Sevilla actually like to play, which means there should be spaces for us to exploit. There should be, there should be open areas. And we happen to be really good at exploiting that. And maybe that will lead to us being on the front foot from the start. And if all goes well, not that I think that we're the overwhelming favorite, but if you play it really well, um, you can pad yourself a nice little lead and then maybe be able to take some players off. Yeah. And I thought, I mean, Anthony Marcial had a really great game and Brent talked a little bit about that during the game, but um, Brent, I wanted to get your thoughts on what you think Marcus Rashford could maybe do. Uh, somebody who had a really awful first half against Copenhagen, but sort of grew into the game after that, at least I thought and started really making some chances and helping to open things up. Um, I think Rashford is, is, I don't know how much more we can realistically expect from Rashford in these next two matches. Um, he, I think he's, he's gotten a lot of stick for how his form has been up and down, you know, compared to the great year he was having. You can see it's been more down than up since the restart, but we have to remember he's coming off a pretty significant, um, a chronic back injury, actually, because of an injury he'd been carrying for some time. And I think that's been reflected in, in some of his rustiness. Um, but he's also added some other bits to his game now, too. You know, uh, I think coming in from the left, a year ago, you would have said his only way to attack would be, you know, making those diagonal runs. Uh now we see he's a little more comfortable going down outside. He makes some of those dial passes into the box. He's gotten much better at playmaking. Um, unfortunately, if they don't come off, like how they didn't come off against uh, Copenhagen on Monday, then it just looks like he's, you know, uh, messing about, uh, playing balls that he can't play. But I think he's shown he, he can do that. Um it's just that, and, and he did grow into the game a little bit. And he, I mean, he, he, I mean, he ran his tail off on Monday. He worked hard. Um, unfortunately, he played maybe longer than he should have because uh, he looked gassed by the end. Um, so I think we can expect similar work rate, but you know, there's no way we're going to get 90 good minutes out of Marcus Rashford again on Sunday. If we can get a good hour, that would be helpful. Um, I think because of the type of team Sevilla, uh, I'd, I'd be shocked if he didn't start. Um, because I expect we'll, you know, tr- try to play a little more on the front foot. Um, so I must realize that this team doesn't have the energy to, uh, I don't know, to, to press really. Uh, right now, it doesn't look like it anyway. I, I, you know, like Paulie mentioned, I don't know if it was tactical instructions or a combination of tactical instructions and just not having the legs to really press like we, we have been doing for most of the season. 
So I think we're kind of back to, in a way, where we were a few months ago. You know, we, we're probably a team that has to be a front runner. I think if we don't, you know, get on the front foot early and get in front, I don't think we have a ton of game-changing options. And I also don't think that against Sevilla, we can really afford to take out any of that front five to start with. That's a really good point about the, the they need to be on the front foot because, yeah, who is coming off the bench? You were looking around, and 70 minutes into the game, the only two changes were uh, I inserted the two guys who are usually in the first choice 11, and I replaced the two guys who replaced them. You could say Matic <clears throat> is a uh, like an upgrade there because he allows Pogba and Fernandez all that attacking freedom, and... You knew that uh, that Copenhagen weren't going to come back uh, the other way against you, but when that wasn't enough, who was coming on? You know, Igalo hasn't scored a goal off the bench yet, um, and from the stories that I've read, they were telling him to warm up at the end of the game, and he even looked as if he was like he knew he wasn't going to come on. It just it just seems that Solskjaer knows when he's chasing a game or when he needs a goal. He he feels Greenwood, Rashford, Martial, Fernandez, Pogba, those are the guys that are going to get it for him, and he doesn't have anybody to bring off the bench. He changed it up in, in extra time to bring in Mata because Greenwood wasn't very effective in this game, and that turned out to be a dynamic substitution. But plenty of times this year he's brought Mata off the bench, and it it's done nothing. So... Yeah, like there's just an alarming lack of quality deeper in the squad, which makes it impossible to think he's going to make any changes because this is a guy who clearly wants to win this tournament. So even if even if the squad is gassed, and I hope he realizes it, but and he maybe does, maybe doesn't. But even if he does, I think he's he's going to go in there with the attitude of I just need to push them two more games and then give them a rest, and it's. Impossible to think he's going to change things up. In order to put the pressure on Sevilla, uh, somebody who, I guess, would maybe have more energy than the players who had played most of the season and has played, you know, pretty okay the last couple games is Jesse Lingard. Do you guys think that this could maybe be a game for him to start and, you know, put some of that high press on Sevilla early, or would he maybe be more of a second-half option? I think so, but only because I think the only player who's at risk of not starting is Mason Greenwood. Um, we saw the offsides, um, the shot that he hit the the post. You know, you give him one half chance, and he can make he can make something out of nothing, and he can be that dangerous. But the rest of the game, really ineffective, really not contributing much to the buildup kind of disappears at times because teams kind of know how to play him. So it's only when you get him the ball and, you know, again, he can make a chance out of nothing. But overall, in terms of the structure of the team, I think Solskjaer may opt for someone like Wingard because also then it gives you that option off the bench and it gives you a game changer to bring off the bench. So, you know, you hope, hey, Wingard can go out there, run around, create space, create opportunities for Martial and Rashford and, and Fernandez to exploit. And if that doesn't work, I have this game changer off the bench. I I just you look at that last game and you think that's really the only way he can possibly change something up. Um 
yeah, I agree with that. I think that's probably the only. I mean, obviously, except for the, the Matic Fred change, with it, which I think probably I don't see why Fred wouldn't keep his place, especially in the to start the game at least, uh, where we would benefit from having a little more energy. Uh, I think Lingard would be a good shout to start, uh, just because. In his last few appearances, you can see with his confidence back, his movement is, I mean, his movement has always been really intelligent off the ball. Um, and his work rate has never really been in question. And I think both of those things would be helpful. Problem with a player like Lingard is because he doesn't offer a ton on the ball. If the players that he is creating space for and creating angles for and, um, supported with his movement if those players aren't playing to their um full potential then his his floor drops drastically you know he looks way more useless if he's doing a lot of running around and the players around him aren't using his movement and his pressing to create so if we have the kind of sluggish start that we had on monday and you have lingard in there instead of greenwood the team is going to look even worse uh, because at least Greenwood, like we saw in the first half, he's not having a great game. Um, even one Bissaka, you know, was not getting a lot of help from Greenwood and also one Bissaka wasn't, you know, having his best game either. He looks like he desperately needs a rest. Um, <clears throat> but even still, Greenwood can, you know, take a half chance and, and, you know, smash one in, uh, cross the face of goal in, in, into the, into the far corner. Um, Lingard, isn't really going to give you that. Uh, I know he's technically had two goals in his last three games, but, um, but yeah, I think for Lingard could work, but it's going to depend on Bruno and Pogba and Martial and, and Rashford uh, really being at the races from from the jump. But I think that's that's important in terms of what squad rotation really is. Is that we. We've seen a couple of times now Solskjaer's rotated the squad and basically gone with a full B team. And they've proven that they're not good enough, but they've also proven that they're not good enough because they can't, you can't rely on them to win games. You can't rely on them to carry the team. But can you rely on a Lingard, a Pereira, a Nigala when they're just one player amongst the other good ones. Like, can you put Igalo in in place of Martial one game? Obviously, we're not going to see that next game, but... And let him see what he can do next to Rashford and and Greenwood and with Fernandez and Pogba behind them. Can you put Jesse Lingard in there when the attack isn't going to run through him? I think a lot of his struggles this year, um, besides lack of confidence, were also we were playing him as the number 10, and the attack ran through him. And... That's a lot of pressure, and that's also teams are going to focus on you because we had nobody else. We had McTominay and Fred behind him. We had Rashford, Martial, and Dan James next to him. You know, there's you only have two guys that can really carry the team. You're asking Wingard to take on a much bigger role. Uh, if you play him with the four other A-list guys, you're you're asking him to take on a much smaller role of just play your role, keep it simple, and you find out, can he do that? Or can Pereira do that? Or can someone else do that? And a lot of the time when we, you know, early in the season, when we had to rely on these players, you know, Scott McTominay, Andres Pereira, Jesse Lingard in the starting lineup, 
in the games where we were successful against bigger teams, we were absorbing pressure and, you know, did not really dictate the game, uh, which, you know, maybe made us look a bit better when we didn't have the ball and they weren't the ones in control of possession. Um, but Nathan, I guess throwing this to you, uh, in a game where we may have to sit back and absorb pressure at some point against a very creative, possessive side, do you think that Lingard and maybe a bit of a wider role um, could help in breakaway situations? Or, you know, on the reverse side of that, do you think that maybe sitting back and absorbing pressure with the talent that we have uh, would make us even more lethal on the counterattack uh, than we had been when we had to rely on lesser talent? Um, I think it's an interesting question when you look, uh, again, at matchups, because more than likely, I, I would think Jesse Lingard, if he's going to be playing out wide, he's going to play probably more on the right. Um, I feel like we can probably write in permanent Marco Rashford on the left side. Um, so if he's on the right, uh, he's going to be going up against Regulon, their left back, who is really, really, really fast and can cover a lot of ground. So sometimes where Lingard's been really successful is he goes up against... Uh, you know, a slower or less crafty left back and he can kind of just run past him and then you're lofting a ball out and he's an outlet for you and he, or at the very least he's stretching things out. Um, I think he's going to run into a problem out wide where he's going to have somebody really draped over him uh, for however many minutes he's in. But I still like the idea uh, and I'll co-sign what, what Brenton and Polly have been saying where I think it's a nice, uh, it's a different wrinkle um, for what Sevilla would be expecting. Um, especially when you're looking at the game they just played against Wolves, they had 76% of the possession. So having somebody like Lingard where you can put, you know, out wide and maybe he starts drifting up top where he's just not letting the center backs get comfortable and, you know, passing out of the back or uh, trying to build up play. Um, I do like the idea of having him up there just because, you know, I feel like uh, Roger Bennett uses this word too much, but I'll give Jesse Lingard, a, you know, he has the tenacity to sit there and press. If Solskjaer says, hey, I want you to just go run at people, I think he will do that. Um, so I think it, I think it, at the very least it provides a, uh, a nice wrinkle. And then, like Polly said, if Lingard starts, then you know you have Greenwood coming off the bench if you need to get a goal or if you want to close out a game because um, you, you want to go find that second or that third goal. Um yeah. You mentioned their you mentioned their left back and being very pacey and everything. So do you think maybe not Jesse Lingard, but a chance for your son Daniel James to come in, who also does that off the ball stuff. He also presses very well. He's also very good defensively. But maybe if, if your left back is pushing up, you have James who can hit you back there with much more pace than Lingard and as bad of a final ball as he has, it's basically the same as Lingard's. And also James will be able to give you that ability to keep pace with him and track back and help out on that end. Yeah, I think this would be the opportunity for him to kind of come out of his timeout or his purgatory, whatever you want to call it. Um, just because I think Sevilla is going to be one of those teams that they, you know, want to have some possession uh, in Manchester United's half and kind of build up play as opposed to us, where we would love for them to just, come at us, we absorb the pressure, and then we're just lofting it right over top, um, which would be perfect for Dan, uh, my boy Daniel, uh, <laughs> Danny boy. Um, and on the right side, too, he's been very successful. You know, where that's where all of his assists have come from. So if... Yeah, on breakaway chances as well. Yeah, on breakaway. So, th th and then that's one of those opportunities where 
you're looking at Rashford, you're looking at Martial, and it's like the moment we regain possession, haul ass up front, um, you know, because you, you're going to have Dan just streaking on the right side, and he has the potential to set you up then. Um, and I'm all for running, the, you know, probably their second best defender just absolutely ragged on the left side uh, because then you bring in a guy like Mason Greenwood, and if he's going up against a left back that's just absolutely knackered in the last, you know, 20, 25 minutes, then that spells a good opportunity for us then for Greenwood to get another goal. Um, weirdly, I feel it, we don't have the best options. Like, I wish we were bringing Sancho off the bench or, you know, starting him, but uh, as opposed to what our current situation is. But I, I think, weirdly enough, he's got a little bit of, a, uh, of an option because I don't think – Lingard hasn't played that much. He shouldn't be tired. Dan James hasn't been playing that much. So at, at the very least for those possible replacements, it's not a problem of rest. It's just a matter of have you guys been paying attention in practice and, you know, are you up for it? It's a semifinal. Yeah. Um, real quick before we end part one and go into a break, um, Bruno and Pogba have been able for the most part to – kind of established midfield dominance and against a lot of the opponents that they've played against together. Uh, and we saw a bit against Copenhagen too, you know, large stretches of time where we were basically laying siege to the opponent's goal. Um, in a game where that doesn't seem likely to happen as often, uh, how do you guys see them being effective um, in, you know, maybe less of a settled possession situation and more of a transition uh, attacking or counterattacking role. Uh, Brent, we can start with you. Um, I mean, I think it, I really like on people the idea of uh, Fred and Pogba in a team that's going to be setting off on breaks really quickly uh, because you have two players there who are comfortably mo- are comfortable moving the ball quickly. Um, uh, Fred can receive a ball to both feet, which is uh, really good in, in terms of being able to turn quickly and, and get moves going. Um, Pogba has shown that he can uh, play those quick passes to start attacks. Um, and of course, we know you know Bruno's role in the team role in the team is to try to make things happen. You know, pass, probe, um, set players off and going. I'm less worried about them in in those types of, of situations. Um, and more about the attack, actually, the attacking outlets, because, you know, like Nathan just mentioned Dan James as a possibility. And he's, he's so good as a, uh, in his defensive work as a wide player, right? Like he'll be good at tracking, uh, Regulon and keeping up with him. But he is one of two players that you can say is in worse form. Like that is not in their best form since after the restart. You know, almost everybody else in the team is either in some of their best form or close to their best form uh, since the season restarted, except for McTominay and James. And of course, you know, Dan James's form started falling off um, around the turn of the year. But I, I think when we talk about him as an option right now, we're talking about a hypothetical version we saw early in the season. You know, the one that we've seen recently doesn't look very useful at all. You know, like he could hit and hope and, you know, we're talking about somebody who could do a job as an emergency wing back, not really anybody who can really occupy defenders in the attacking part of the team 
or even looks confident enough to to really contribute to, to counterattacks. Um, so yeah, I'm more concerned about the freshness of the attackers to be able to you know run those sprints for counterattacks than I am with midfield. I think in this type of game, you know, where you have to move the ball quickly, I like our I like our midfield options. Nathan, Polly. Uh, yeah, I don't under. I don't understand why people like this is the kind of thing where people might say, oh, I don't know if you play Paul Pogba in a game like this where you're just going to be on the counter. Like, are you kidding? Like, he's the best midfielder and he's actually very defensively astute and defensively he's very good. Positionally, he's very good. He he doesn't often leave leave his midfield like his defenders out to dry. Um France is a team, like, in the World Cup, France didn't have the majority of possession, and Paul Pogba was just fine. Like, if you're going to play in a game where you're hitting teams on the break, Paul Pogba is going to be just fine. He will help out defensively. We saw he was all over the pitch uh, against Copenhagen, and it'll be the same way against Sevilla. And then he just has the ability to spring attacks from anywhere with his passing. Um, I was going to say, you watch any Pogba passing compilation video, almost all of them are over the top into someone's path. Right, exactly. Yeah, there's not so, a better better player to have in that situation. Certainly not on our team. Yeah, and he, he may not run and and get stuck into tackles as or make it look like he's running as hard as you want him to, but he is, and he gets in there. He's just really good at not having to make tackles because tackles. You know, Jabi Alonso was the one that said tackles are a last ditch thing. Um, you know, if I have to make a tackle, it's because I screwed up and. Pog was good at getting there before he has to do that. Um, then there's Bruno, who, you know, when we first signed Bruno, I was sitting there being like, you know, there's there's still a role in the team for the Pereira slash Lingard, one or the other, but not both, in that they, they were very good at playing on the counter, especially Lingard, and in a game where you're not going to see a lot of the ball and you need to press and you need to... Um, be be good more so on the on the counter to go the other way and be good defensively from your position. They're very good and, and there are games for that. And then it just turns out that not only is Bruno better than them with the ball and in the attacking, he's equally as good defensively. The guy runs all over the field. He's got an engine like there's no tomorrow. And suddenly it's like, okay, you don't need them either. So yeah, I'm not worried about. Bruno Fernandez as a as a defensive aspect in in a game where we're going to have to sit back on the counter. I mean, we put in one hell of a defensive effort against City at Old Trafford, and that was with Bruno. It was our our best defensive effort in the four games that we played City. The best defense we played was at Old Trafford, and that's when we had Bruno Fernandez. So I am I am not worried about those players. Um, playing in a game where we wouldn't have more of the ball. They, good players, find a way to impact the game even when uh, they don't have as much of the ball. By converting penalties. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and I think one thing we should... Oh, Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, like, one thing that we've sort of hinted at, and I know, I think, two or three of us have here that have... Uh, written something about the game kind of hinted at this also or if not you know explicitly wrote about it like poorly did um 
I think we all agree that we feel confident in in our first 11 against Sevilla, no matter how the game goes, you know, whether we have to sit back at some point in time, whether the game is open, you know, whether we need to pick a deep defense apart. But all of these options we're talking about for potential changes would have made a lot more sense on Monday instead of, you know, against the toughest team we've played so far in the competition coming up. And we didn't see those. And I think it's fair to wonder why Ole Gunnar Solskjaer didn't see Monday as the opportune time to make those changes, especially given um, the kind of start that United made in the game where it wasn't clear if it was, okay, did we just start off this game already tired? Or are we, are those players, have, have those players been instructed to, uh, to not press and let the game come to them? So I think now we're in a position where um, yeah, it would be good to have these wrinkles. Let's see what Dan James can do with better players. Let's see what Lingard could do playing with the rest of the first choice 11. Uh, let's see what Andreas Pereira could do when he's, do for you when he's playing with the rest of the first choice 11, but. Maybe not that one. <laughs> well, you know, um, hypothetically. Um, but yeah, in any case, no, we're not really in a position to do that. And, and I definitely don't expect it to happen now because if there's one thing we, I think we have to, to, you know, understand about Solskjaer in the last couple of months is that in as much as he's taken decisions looking towards the long term in terms of his recruitment, in terms of who we let go last summer, um, when it comes down to crunch time and achieving his goals for the season, which for this season was getting top four, which we got in third, and winning a trophy, which we're chasing right now, uh, he's pretty risk-averse. You know, he made the call, okay, league comes first, got that. The FA Cup suffered because of it. Now the next priority is to win the Cup, and he hasn't taken a lot of chances, which part of that is playing your best 11 as often as possible. So now we're in this position where, yeah, on paper we like our 11, but, I mean, they look, they look gassed. They look, they look tired. All right. Well, uh, that is going to do us for part one. Uh, stay tuned after the ad break for part two, uh, where we will answer a fan question or discuss a fan topic, I guess, which is what it was this week. Right. Right, Polly. Polly was making a lemon face. Yeah, if you could, yeah. if you could say that. <laughs> yeah. So we'll be right back. And we are back for part two. Um, so our fan question or more fan comment this week comes from at Percy underscore official. Um, I think his first name is Robin, um, who recently says that Anthony Martial is a world-class striker after his performance. That wasn't the biggest thing that he said recently, according no, to what Google Translate. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, question posed you guys uh anthony marcial is he world class uh of course when we signed him i think everyone assumed that he had this sort of potential and this season more than any he's proven that you know he's able to defeat the lazy tony agenda he's you know he comes back he works up in the build-up play he's got a great relationship with some really good creators now and uh, he is the star number nine we'd hoped he'd be at the start of the season when Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer put his trust in him. Uh, so I, as Nathan reminded me um, during the break, um, 
I tweeted recently that I only need a few more weeks of, of Martial being in this kind of form for me to just start referring to him as a world-class modern number nine. Um, so I think if, I think right now he's in world-class form, um, for my, for how I personally refer to players as world-class, they need to show world-class form for an extended period of time. Because uh, I think an easy definition for world-class is, can this player get into the best teams in the world at his position? And I think Martial is right in that group right now. Um, you know, he's maybe stepped it up, especially over the last few months in this calendar year. Uh, particularly and definitely since the restart, I think he's been United's uh, most consistent player, maybe even United's best player. Um, and I think it's because he has, because look, he signed as a teenager. He had a good goal scoring season under Van Hal. Um, he lost a couple of years under Mourinho, just like the rest of us. Um, and then since Solskjaer came in, you know, by then he had kind of acquired this reputation of being aloof, being uninvolved, which was probably only partly true and probably just a narrative that got built up around him because, I mean, he was playing under Mourinho for two years. Nobody was having a good time, he included. So um, I think part of that was, was a little bit unfair, but he's definitely now become not just a player with potential to be really good, but he is now a proper modern number nine. You know, you see his hold-up play, his link-up play. You know, there are still people who will complain that, you know, he's not Alan Shearer getting his head on the end of crosses in the box, but, you know, we're not even, nobody even crosses anymore, especially not United, not like that anyway. Um, and he's not that bad in the air. Of course, he can get better, but it's not something that's holding him back from effectively playing his role in the team. You know, his link-up play with his back-to-goal is really good. His short passing is really good. He's become noticeably stronger, uh, whereas he always had good balance and good feet. Now, it's harder to just, you know, shoulder him out of the way. And that's been a, a huge difference in uh, how dependable he is when he gets the ball played into feet, especially with his back-to-goal. He can be muscled off the ball as easily. And he's also having his best ever goal scoring season. So I think, yeah, he's not, um, Robert Lewandowski, but who is? Um, but he's starting to do Karen Benzema things, which is, I mean, as far as a, a, a modern number nine, um, with goal scorers converted forwards on either side of you, that's probably a prototype. That we need, and and Martial is Martial is there now. I think it's all it's all coming together for him now. Yeah, and he's not. I mean, like you said, he's not the sort of prototypical Alan Shearer number nine. But you can't deny that his arsenal of you know goal scoring styles and weapons has expanded. I mean, he he is scoring more headers now. It seems like, and he's also his vision getting into the box and getting on the end of passes into the area has gotten a lot better as well, uh, whereas before it seemed as though he would only score on breakaways or, you know, scoring a spectacular goal um, or spectacular individual effort goal. Um, and yeah, I think he's just, he's just added so much more to his game now. And, and you know, he's not an Alan Shearer type, but what is an Alan Shearer type going to be for us right now? Even, 
you know, of course, uh, Vanille Saroy, one of my favorite players, world-class player, his cooler player was underrated, but he was still primarily a finisher. And I think Martial now uh, has become a better finisher, but also has become, you know, closer to the Robin Van Persie mold of, you know, being able to link up with midfielders, being able to spot runs going behind him, um, while still having the talent that makes Martial special, you know, where he can uh, dribble at players, where he can still, you know, snake his way through these tight, tight spaces. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, a conversation we've had a couple times uh, over the past season and a half or so has been about Tony Martial's streakiness and his, at times, lack of consistency. Um, what have you seen from him to emerge as not just tabloid Tony anymore, but to keep that form even when other things aren't happening? I mean, at this point, I've, I've got my tinfoil hat on, conspiracy theory time. I think Woodward pulled him aside and said, look, we can't have you hit these clauses in the first couple years of your contract. So just kind of, you know, show everybody you're worth it, cool off for a couple years. Once those expire, boom, you're good to go. Well, that was like, Mourinho. Mourinho just stopped playing him. Yeah. He was he was on fire in 2017-18, and Mourinho just said, you know what, I'll have Alexis Sanchez, and just stopped playing Martial. Mourinho's like, I can't pay this money out. I've got to be able to buy a center back that I really want. Let me Please let me get that Toby, Toby Alderweireld money. Um but no, as far as Martial is concerned, um, that that really has been kind of a a thread that you and I have been talking about ever since I first started popping on the podcast. You know, last spring it was when's he going to turn it on? Um, Solshire kind of seems like the guy for him to have because it, it doesn't look like Martial responds to tough love. You know, he needs to have an ally in his manager. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to have that feeling of if he makes a mistake and he looks towards the touchline, if, you know, he's getting eyeballs just stared into the back of his head, I, it, it just it hurts his game. And I think um, Solskjaer's management style, uh, also being able to look towards Solskjaer as far as like, hey, when you were a player, this is how did you do these things inside the box? I mean, it, ever since Solskjaer has come into the picture, like Martial's just proven to be that much more lethal as a finisher in the box. And, you know, we've talked about it quite a few times as well, just him and Rashford being on this parallel trajectory of both of them getting better as players at the same time um, and generally playing with each other almost, you know, the entire portion of Martial's uh, United career has been, I think, really important because you saw these the runs that Martial was making in the Copenhagen game or any other game, um, him and Rashford just pair up well, whether it's a give and go or, you know, Rashford, goes a little bit deeper with the ball and then is able to pick out Tony in space uh, inside the box, finding those little, those little sections where he can thread a ball through. Like they just, they know exactly where the other wants to go. And I think that really helps them out too. So um, I probably would stray away from using the phrase world-class. I'm probably with Brent as far as like right now, his form is unreal. You know, if the, if the world was a little bit more normal and we were talking about world cup qualifiers right now, you would like to think that um, he's on the short list for the French national team. Um, he's you brought up Benzema. He's probably more of a, of a Ferrari than a go-kart at this point. Um, so yeah, I, it's I'm, I've been really impressed. I think 
now the there's going to be a little bit of pressure on him. Like next year is the year I think where he really, you know, cements it, or he's just he's just a good player. You know, I, that's I, I think we're at that point now. He, he's at that age, um, and he's he's flashed brilliant. So now just if he could sustain it, then you know. <laughs> Our purchase of him from Monaco was one of the better investments, you know, any team's made in the last decade. Yeah, I, I very much agree with everything that Brent said. The the things that he has added to his game this year and being the modern forward, the link-up play, the passing, the, the way that he just does subtle things that allow everybody else to succeed, which is what you need out of your your forwards anymore. Like, scoring goals is just not enough anymore. This is why... You know, uh, Chicharito got phased out when when Ferguson left. Um, that's you, you need to do more than just score goals because you, you know if you if you don't contribute into getting the ball into the into the box, then you're not going to get a lot of chances to score goals. And what Martial does there is incredible and has been top drawer, um, for lack of a better term. I just don't use the the word world class because I'm kind of like that old school Sir Alex Ferguson who's you know world class is a level above it to me it's like the and sorry for using the other sport analogy it's like the is Joe Flacco elite question of if we keep calling all these quarterbacks elite you know then there's no distinction between the bet the very best like there is very good absurdly good but like the people that are a step above that you know, there's Messi, there's Ronaldo, there's Lewandowski, and then there's very good. And like, you know, there's there's insanely good. There, you know, you could throw Mbappe into that category too, but like it it's not a problem to be in the next tier. The next tier is still absurdly good. I would build my team around you. You can win with me. And in uh, Martial can hit world class form. At times he does. But to make you world class, you need to hit world class form consistently for an entire season for multiple seasons that's what makes it world class you know the same like how many great players has Sir Alex Ferguson managed and you know he said I only managed four world-class players Cantona, Giggs, Skulls, Ronaldo um, so that's really the barometer that I'm that I'm at I do there are times like he has become so good and so well-rounded that at times you do almost wish there was more classic number nine in him you see how many times he kind of lays the ball off for Rashford or tries to set up somebody and you just wish he would be a little bit more selfish and and shoot it himself I would like to see him make more runs into the box he's gotten way better at it in the second half of the season and even more better at it since the lockdown of getting to that six yard box and getting those dirty goals but it it's got to happen instinctually uh, instinctively. I don't know what I just said. Instinctively is what it's got to happen instinctively. Everybody says Juan Basaka can't cross. Juan Basaka pumps balls across that six yard box all day. And the issue is there's nobody there to get him. Uh, there was a, a play against Copenhagen where he got in. Pogba played a really nifty pass to get Juan Basaka in. He looked up, but Rashford never even attempted the run to the back post. Uh, you know, it's it's things like that. Like there are times where Martial just seems to hang out at that top left hand part of the box that him and Rashford love to shoot from. Where it's like, no, we need you to get in there and and make those make those near post runs. Just make those runs to the six yard box. 
like he did against Chelsea when he scored that goal with his head. Uh, he did it against City when he almost scored and managed himself to hit the post and somehow he shot wide, but he did it against Sheffield where he scored one or two goals from there. That's what we need to see. That needs to become an instinct. Um, but otherwise, it's it, you're not going to find many forwards that do everything better than Martial these days. You can't spell elite without Eli. <laughs> I was going to say, please don't, please don't compare Tony Martial to Joe Flacco. But anyway, anyways, um, I think that'll about wrap it up for us uh, on this episode of the Busby Bay podcast. Uh, but uh, real quick, uh, speed round, yes or no question: Ooh. Should should we abandon Jane Sancho and just go all in on Killian Mbappe? Yes. No. Tiebreakers. Sell the name and rights to Old Trafford. Get Killian and Mbappe. I don't care <laughs> if we have to call it the Lucas Aid Manchester Stadium. Get Mbappe. Yeah, Brent's on record. He would he would uh, spend his entire transfer budget just on Mbappe's foot. So. Yeah. Yep. We'll get the other one. Right, like year. sell sell the field so it'll be like Vodafone Field at uh, at AIG Stadium on the grounds of Old Trafford. <laughs> Tom Brady's Old Trafford. <laughs> well, or uh, you know, I'm very new to actually paying attention to this sport, but uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, you know, offering Mario Lemieux a pathway to just outright owning the team. Yeah. Wizards tried to do that with Michael Jordan. He was a player owner. Right. The NBA didn't allow, but Lemieux was yeah. a player owner at one point. Yeah. Yeah, or, or uh, Tim Howard, sporting director and goalkeeper for Memphis 901 FC. And there's your USMNT reference if you're playing uh, Busby Bay Bingo. <laughs> yeah, we've, I think in the last, what, 20 minutes, we've mentioned Wayne Rooney and uh, now the US Men's National Team. All we have left is uh, the Avengers. So yeah. right, but we did re-record over two other references. <laughs> yeah, well, that is the secret, Busby Babes Bingo. <laughs> we will not be mentioning publicly. Yeah, please, please join our Patreon to hear that section. Yeah, <laughs> our, ba- our babysitter came in and immediately started causing trouble that would get us in trouble when mommy and daddy get home, but not him somehow. <laughs> yeah, we'll start a Patreon. We'll start a Patreon where we post all the in-between bits, or in-between recording bits, so uh, yeah, stay tuned for that. Uh, Anyway, I've been Colin. Uh, Thank you, Nathan and Polly, once again, and of course, our leader, Brent Maximin, for joining us. Thank you for having me on. Auf Wiedersehen.